This is the Horse Radio Network. Stable Scoop Radio Show, Episode 8. The British are coming, the British are coming. Brought to you by the Barnworks for all your equine website needs. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. I am Glenn the Geek. And I am Helena B. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, Helena. Hi, Glenn. How are you today? All right. We're at episode eight, and we have a lot of news to cover today. Yes. Today we are, well, let's see. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about um, some honorees from Ohio State. We're going to talk about equine disaster relief, some horse science news. What else? Well, before... Before Sorry. we get into the news, that's okay. Before we get into the news, I wanted to mention one thing, and I think everybody will like this, uh, that uh, over on our other show at the Horse Radio Network, the 2010 radio show, we're doing a monthly giveaway of World Games stuff. You gave it away. I was going to say that at the end. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, all right, go ahead. Finish. All right. See, I was so excited. I know. So, so we're giving away one of their saddle pads. That's the world. It has the World Games logo on it, the Alltech FEI World Games logo. It's a very nice saddle pad, a $50 value. So that's this month's giveaway for October. So stop over to 2010radioshow.com and sign up. It's free. There's a big banner at the top there. So go ahead and sign up for the, for the saddle pad. What kind of saddle pad is it? It's an all-purpose uh, I can't. I couldn't tell what brand it was. They don't really say, but it looks like a nice pad. Yeah, and their logo is really kind of sharp. So yes, that'll look nice on a, yeah, yep, on a pad. Yep. And so every month we'll have something different from their line of goodies. Yay. To give away. Did so I'm qualified for that. No, no, no. I think you'd be in that friends and family uh, clause. Right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting one. I'll send you one. Okay. All right. We'll give you a fancy saddle pad. Actually, that, that brings up a good point because we ha- we're going to be in the coming weeks uh, having some giveaways here on Stable Scoop as well. Yep. Um, I think ours are going to be kind of diverse, everything from books and hats and other kind of neat stuff to give away. So tell all your friends to tune in because you never know what you might get for free on Stable Scoop. All right, cool. And I, you know what? I'll just add that pad to your large paycheck every week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I can retire just on my my salary from Stable Scoop. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You won't eat much. Yeah, (laughs) I can retire, but I won't eat. (laughs) Then I can join the rest of the country. That's that's right. (laughs) All right. All right. What do we got? We have, uh, we've got lots of news. We have, um, our feature interview is a woman by the name of Viola, and she's from England, and she is responsible for a blog called the Freelance Instructor's Diary, which is really cool stuff. And a couple other housekeeping things. We're going to keep it short and sweet this week, but always enjoyable. All right, good. 
All right, so I'm going to start us out with the news, and we have an interesting article um, that came to us about an Ohio State vet who was honored for his laminitis research. Uh, the veterinarian's name is Dr. James Belknap, and he's a professor of equine surgery over at the Department of Clinical Services at Ohio State University. And the award that he received is, it's an annual award, and it's the Equine Veterinary Journal Open Award. And he received it for 2007 for his work as an author on a paper published in the Equine Veterinary Journal. Um, so what was his paper on? His paper was on, all right, I hope everybody's sitting down because this is, this is so geeky. I love it. The paper's titled, Lamellar Pro-Inflammatory Cytokine Expression Patterns in Laminitis at the Developmental Stage and at the Onset of Lameness, Innate versus Adaptive Immune Response. But you must have been practicing that. No, I swear to God. But I, I couldn't have said that if I had practiced. <laughs> so <laughs> essentially it focuses on why the lamina gets inflamed and, um, um, and the inflammation's role in the developmental process of laminitis. Because in the past, researchers used to believe that inflammation was not a major component, component of the disease mm-hmm. of laminitis um, and that the disease was mainly caused by a decrease in blood flow. However, Belknap's research has created a huge paradigm shift in the way the disease is researched because his, he has shown that inflammation um, is an important or is a significant factor at the beginning, at the development of the disease. Uh. So that is going to change the way it's researched hugely. Well, and, and hopefully make more progress than they have in the past on it. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. all, you know, obviously, once they know more about how the disease develops, the, how they can treat it is will follow shortly behind. Um, so he says, you know, they, there's still a long way to go in answering the big questions about laminitis, um, such as determining which specific pathology or breakdown of the lamina will, will allow them to formulate an effective treatment. So he's saying, we, this is just the beginning. We, we're, we're starting to figure out what's causing it, but there's still a big leap between what's causing it and then how to fix it. And I did notice that uh, on your show notes here that he has more letters behind his name than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, he's what, a doctor of veterinary medicine. He has a PhD in something. Right. Well, he's, he's a DVM, a MS, PhD, what? and a diplomat of the ACVS, which I... A-C-V-S. Let's figure that one out. College of Veterinary Science. Veterinary Sciences, thank yep, you. Yep, yep, yep. Well, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's the one to do the research. Yeah, yeah. And he has, um, there's also um, some webinars, which is online seminars mm-hmm. of understanding laminitis. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes at stablescoop.com. And you can actually see more detailed information about his research. And that's from him? Actually, the webinars? Oh, cool. No, the webinars are actually um, supported by or created by thehorse.com. Okay. And, but it's basically a conglomeration of his research. Oh, good. All right. And uh, I did want to mention, too, this week that the Equine Disaster Relief Fund, which is actually administered by the American Association of Equine Practitioners, the AAEP, uh, is asking for donations right now. They're a fund that was set up to help in sort of like the Red Cross for horses. They were set up to help in times of natural disaster, like after hurricanes Rita and Katrina. 
And uh, what they do is they go in after and they assist people with anything they might need for the for feeding their horses, taking care of their horses, people who were lost their, their places to keep their horses and they have to go somewhere else and it's costing them more, that kind of thing. Um, right now they're working, of course, on Hurricane Ike, which did cause a large problem down in Texas and Louisiana with horse owners. So they're working with the veterinary community down there and with various agencies to determine what the needs are and now to get the help out. So this is awesome. This is like a a horse-specific Red Cross. Yes, yes. And it's, and it's administered by the AAEP. Correct. So we'll put in our show notes, but basically I wanted to tell everybody that you can go to aaepfoundation.org to donate right from their website, or you can call 800-443-0177. And uh, or you can mail the donations in and we'll put all of that in the show notes. So definitely take uh, if you can afford five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can do. Ike was really bad. I don't think it's come out. It's been talked about how bad Ike was in relationship to the horse community at this point. But it was really bad. So do you know, Glenn, if they take um, donations of goods versus just money? I think they take just money. And then uh, it's sort of like the Red Cross in that certain certain organizations like the Red Cross ju- just want to take money. Okay. Uh, simply because they, they have their certain things they do that they know work. Right. You know, things they buy, food they buy, all of that stuff. So it's the same here, I think, is, is they then have their specific ways of actually helping people. You know, and it, it makes sense. It's probably a lot easier to manage um, incoming donations of money than it is to manage incoming donations of goods because that's know, with money. You just deposit it and then spend it. But right. goods you got to organize and you got to. I volunteer with the Red Cross, and it, it's the same way with them. We don't really want a whole bunch, a thousand different kinds of food, you know, because we can't cook it. So that's why they encourage people to just donate money and then they buy exactly what they need. Um, I had an interesting experience a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know if I talked about it on the show, but I actually helped set up a couple of shelters here in Lexington uh, from one of the hurricanes where we thought we were going to get evacuees from New Orleans. We didn't end up getting evacuees, but it was an interesting process to help set up the shelters and to see how all of that actually works for real. So, can't, I mean, the practice doesn't hurt. No, that's for sure. I blew up 550 air mattresses, so I know how to do that now. <laughs> That would make me grumpy. I'm highly qualified at air mattress blowing up. Yeah. You need to put that on your resume. You know what I learned, though? Here's a trick for everybody. You know how you get the air mattresses and you always get that little pump you plug in? Yeah. And it never works right and it takes forever and it never gets and really it full. $50. The air mattress costs 10 and the pump yes. costs 50 Yes, exactly. Well, you know what we use there to put, blow them up fast and get them blown up hard it is the end of a shop back. Oh, you just reverse it? You reverse it. And the end of a shop back is made to fit on 99% of the air mattresses out there. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. It was so fast. <laughs> you could blow them up in, in a minute, you know? You know, and I, I have to say, um, I think that a shop back is something that every barn should have. And I think most barns do, but nobody thinks about hardly using it on the reverse as a blower. And... And every shop vac set up to do that. So that's just my helpful hint for the day when you're having company over. 
Yeah, and I'm going to underscore that with go out and get a shop back because for the price, it can do a million things and blow up air mattresses. There you go. <laughs> so, um, what were we talking about again? Oh, uh, we were we we're getting back to the news actually. <laughs> wait, 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 no, I wanted to talk about the um, on the AAP. Yep website they also have a place where you can shop so you can buy things w- that support the disaster relief fund okay. you can buy calendars and goods and yes. you know stuff like that which i think is an even that's a great way to support um so you buy something for yourself and it helps support the fund right and who yeah. doesn't like to buy something for themselves that's right <laughs> all right we can go back to the news now all right good well you found a cool new website that uh, that i really liked I did too. It's called horsesciencenews.com. In fact, we just got the press release press release for it on the 29th. The cool thing about this site is it takes um, snippets of new research, horse science research, and publishes it on the site in easy-to-swallow chunks. So it's a summary. Um, now, I, it, for those of you who have ever seen uh, research papers published, there's always an abstract that goes along with the research papers, which is basically the scientific summary of the research. Um, but what I found is in reading these um, abstracts, sometimes they're so technical, you have no idea what the research, what the paper is going to be about. And a lot of times you have to pay to get access to the research paper. Um, so how do you know if you want to pay $15 or $10 to get the full research if you don't understand the abstract. Right, right. Okay, so back to Horse Science News. Horse Science News um, puts the abstracts in layman's terms and in user-friendly, like I said, easy-to-swallow summaries. And then if you want to, you can click to research um, to access the detailed full-page article of the research. Okay, so do, do they charge for that or is that – if that's you want the good, if you want the full question. no for the summary of the articles okay. you there is no charge all of what's published on horse science news does not come with a fee but if you click over to the actual research article mm-hmm. you in most cases you will have to pay a fee for access to the full text of the article ah gotcha okay and that that is true for any um, peer reviewed journal you know things that are um, research that's published by PubMed or um, some of the government agencies. Like, you know, the, um, gosh, I can't even. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, nutrition journals and veterinary journals. Well, and this one, you know, being, we're we're both web designers. Being a web designer looking at this, the usability on this site was very easy. Oh, it's fabulous. It's the way it's laid out. It's just so simple. And they did a great job with that. Matter of fact, when I was ever looking at it after you had told me about it, I loved, you know, me and my weird articles. I really like the one. This is sort of a Mythbusters. I don't don't know if you've watched Mythbusters, but this is sort of a Mythbusters kind of article. Do horses spread weeds along trails? It's always been one of the things of the people against horses riding trails through state parks and stuff is that the horses can spread weeds that weren't, weren't there before through the manure because they may have trucked in from out, out of the area and it's always been one of those fights that that's been out there and one of those things that's been out there well they did a study to figure out if the manure actually spreads the weeds and it was very interesting uh how they did it they basically took some hay and put it along the paths and and they took the manure and put it along the paths and they wanted to see if any of the non-native plants sprouted over a period of time so this was actually a study that they they did over a period of time and they did 300 plots of hay manure and hoof debris so it wasn't like they just did two or three they did 300 
And what they found out of the 300 is that only three of these plots sprouted anything that were non-native. And then by the end of the second growing season, that no plants had survived along the trail. That's interesting. And part of the reason that they give for that, which, which makes perfect sense, is that the trails are ridden on all the time. These things are beaten down that pretty much there's no chance for anything to grow. Uh, nor nor is the environmental conditions right for stuff to grow that's in hay and and fecal matter, you know? Well, that was my, my question, is if you're taking a non-native species and trying to get it to grow somewhere outside of its native environment, that's your first obstacle. And the second is, even if, it, even if the conditions are just right and what I call the planets are aligned perfectly, how is it going to survive being trodden on by horses all day long? I can't even get the flowers that are supposed to grow in our backyard to grow. Now, I wonder you know? what prompted the research. I don't know. I, I, there, this has been an issue I've read in several states where, where the bikers are fighting against the horse people. You know, who, who gets rights to the trails and, who, you know, who's... Especially, this has always been a battle down in Maryland at Fairhill, which is a 3,000-acre park, and bikers are on it, bicyclists, I should say, and horse trails all through it. And they've always had this war going back and forth. And this was one of the lame article, or, you know, lame things that the bicyclists have used in the past. So I know that it's been an issue. So that's probably why the research was done. I just liked how it was sort of, uh, it was taken seriously. And they actually did spend a lot of time doing this over two seasons. Well, that's my question is it's when you said it's taken seriously. If you go to horse science news, and you read the article, do horses spread weeds along trails, the opening sentence is, Horses have been blamed for scattering unwanted weeds across the landscape as they travel down public trails. So, you know, what is there? Some bicyclist out there who's like, oh, those silly horses. They know they well, all these You know, as much as we love horses, there are the horse haters out there. Oh, God. But, <laughs> but it had to be somebody who was vocal um, or well-organized because these these types of research projects take funding. Right. And so I, I think that's actually the... The interesting point is how loud were these people or how organized were they in order to get the funding to do this kind of research? I think, and I'm sure other horse people out there think it's fascinating because, well, hey, it's about horses. Um, no pun intended. But um, yeah, so anyway, it's just it's interesting to see how the outside world um, views horses and then, again, how they get the money for this because I want more horse research. Right. Right. We all know that it's hard to get the money We should for start it. our own little Mythbusters show on the Horse Radio Network where we take all these horse myths and we debunk them. Glenn, how many sh- we've got two shows already. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I love when you go on your little rants, by the way. We're just going to have to call them Helena's Rants. We'll have to get a little theme song for your rants and raves every week. I know. That's you good. Know it's good because, and that's why radio is good for me because I can't see everybody rolling their eyes or tuning out. <laughs> <laughs> when I try to that's do right. this with my husband, he just totally shuts down. Yeah. <laughs> he gets that zombie look. And, but you know what? I keep going. <laughs> well, I want to tell everybody, if you love your veterinarian, then now's the time to uh, put your two cents in. The University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine is, it has announced the deadline of uh, December 1st for nominations for its World Leadership and Animal Health Award. And that's where basically all anybody can nominate a veterinarian who has dramatically changed the practice and image of the profession. And they have the opportunity. It's sort of like the Nobel Prize for veterinarians is what it is. And they actually can win $100,000 with no strings. So uh, last year's vet, oh, had you ever heard of this before? Uh, no. 
you know, I had heard of it last year was the first time I'd heard of it. I don't know how long they've been doing it for, but last year's winner was Dr. Bernard Vallée, who's the director general of the World Organization for Animal Health. And he's responsible for trying to share scientific information across international boundaries into third world countries and to veterinarians all across the world. So he's one of the leaders in getting all this uh, scientific research and everything that we're learning about horses into the hands of vets all over the world, not just in the United States or, or some of the first world countries. One of the veterinarians that treats uh, my own horse was talking about um, she participates in some projects that the World Organization for Animal Health puts on, and one of which is sending veterinarians like her to um, developing countries to help them learn about things like animal husbandry and basic care for longevity, especially for indigenous peoples who still rely very heavily on either livestock or hunting and farming for their food. And it was interesting because one of the, this is probably another one of my tangents, but um, one of their challenges was how do you introduce um, modern technologies without compromising the culture of the indigenous people? Mm-hmm. You know, you're introducing things like antibiotics and medicine and all that stuff, but how do you do it without interrupting their traditions? And I think that's been a challenge too on the human side. Absolutely. Right. But this, the World Organization for Animal Health, is, that's one of the things that they do is they help um, – is they facilitate this information sharing across international boundaries. In, but in ways that – so they're sensitive to things like how do you introduce new stuff without breaking the old stuff. Right. Uh, well, so and if you're if you have a vet that you think deserves this, all you have to do is write about 88 pages giving the reasons for it. No, actually, it says a detailed statement close eight full pages giving reasons for the nomination and a whole bunch of other criteria, which we'll put in the show notes as well. If you think your vet deserves this award so uh, they can be nominated for it. To be honest with you, it's very academic. Uh <laughs> The, the nomination process oh. is very academic, so you would have to you have to be a good writer, I think, to get through this process. Well, however, you can do it all electronically, so that's true. That's yep. easy. You can do it by email, which just get down there and start typing away. And um, they need references too, though, don't they? Yes, they need references. Uh, they need a number of things, and we'll list those in the show notes. Cool. So there's the Nobel Prize for uh, veterinarians. I'm excited about it. You so know, wait, wait, wait. So now once it's, when yep. is it announced? Do we know when it's announced? I think they announce it right after the first of the year. Okay, so we're going to have to put that in a future show. Yep. All right. Now, obviously, this has been an interesting week. This show is going out on October the 3rd. The stock market has been in a turmoil. You know, it's Congress is fighting back and forth. You know, it doesn't matter how you feel about all of that. It's been a tough economic week with gas prices the way they are. You know, everything's suffering a little bit. I've uh, been reading articles about how shows are seeing a little bit of a decrease in entries and, and all of that. One of the future shows we want to do, we're hoping to set up here for a couple of weeks, is how can you keep your horse business going in bad financial times? What can you do to keep your business there? Because you're losing, people can't afford to pay the board anymore. They sell their horses. So if you're a, you have a boarding stable, what can you do to increase your business or to at least keep it going so 
you're in a catch-22 when you have a boarding stable because your prices are going up for hay and feed and everything. And if you raise your prices to your boarders, they get to the point where they just can't afford it anymore. Either they move or they sell their horse. Mm. So having owned a boarding stable for almost 20 years, I understand all of that. And we really want to attack. I think that you have to really think outside the box right now when you're a business owner. There's a book out there called Horsing Around, the USA Guide to Marketing and Promoting Your Horse Business. And it was written by Lori Cerny. And I would like to get her on. We're going to try and get her on in a couple of weeks to talk a little bit about what you can do to keep your horse business going. What you know? What changes would you do? You think you need to make? What creative things can you do? One of the couple couple of things that I've seen happening, and that that she mentions a couple of them too, is you really need to start out thinking outside the box. Think: I have a farm here with a large plot of land. What can I do to advertise my farm to get people out here who would normally be out here? Maybe to get them out people that that are not have not been in the horse world before to get them thinking about taking lessons and things like that and a couple of the things that people are doing one is holding concerts Mm -hmm. they're they're actually getting live bands out they're holding barbecues concerts they'll charge admission for the events uh yeah you know it's a low cost to provide the service but uh, so that means good margins good profits right and you just set up you know aside a plot of your land most farms are on good sized plots of land. So what they're saying is use the land like it may not even be a horse thing, but use the land to bring people in who wouldn't normally have been exposed to horses. Now, not even just the land, but your facilities too. If you have a lounge, you can hold lectures. If right. you have, uh, you know, if you have a heated bathroom. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. They will give you money to sit and listen and have a nice warm place to pee. <laughs> and of course, clinics and seminars, you know, all of that. If you can't do them, get somebody in the can. It's worth the money to spend on that. Usually you make your money back because you're charging for the clinics and seminars, and you usually make your money back if you advertise it well enough. Also, you know, get your, contact the local papers. If you haven't done that yet, just contact your local papers, not necessarily a big city paper, whatever your local paper is. They're always looking for stories. So if you're having a barbecue or doing something a little bit different than normal, they'll do an article on you. And a lot of times it'll be a huge article. I know we we had a great local paper in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where we had our farm. We we had at least three or four in the years we were there, full page stories on our farm because we did stuff that was a little bit different. And did you have people coming in the door, the front door, that said, hey, I saw you? Yes, we had people call us who saw us. And we got a lot of borders out of that uh, and a lot of new lessons out of that because they didn't know. You know, they most of the time don't even know you're there. Or they see the article and they go, you know, I've always wanted to be taking a lesson and I just never have done anything about it because I didn't know where to go. I think that's what stops most new people or most, especially women, who are getting back into riding after years and years and years of being out of horses altogether then they'll, they need that impetus. They need that spur. Usually it's a friend or an article or something they read that they go, oh, you know, I really should do this again. And it's good to have it in, like you said, in the local paper versus a trade magazine because um, in trade magazines, it just, there's so much horse news, it gets lost. But in a local paper, the horse story stands out. Yeah. Have you read the horse of the Delaware Valley lately? Yes. I just got the trainer's issue. You're never going to read all those ads. I mean, I don't care who you are. Or remember them, just because no. there's so many. Right, and even the articles, if they fo- if they feature, well, like I think in this case, in this particular issue, they feature all the trainers, and I'm just going to look at the, you know, the top for trainers I know. Right. 
you know, right. It's, it, right. It gets buried. So that's why, yes, it, to underscore your point is call your local paper because that's where information about your business is going to stand out the most, where you don't have to compete with 10 other horse businesses that, that week or that in that issue. That's correct. Cool. All right. So wait, wait, we're going to take, so in, in a future show, we're going to try and talk to the author of that book, Lori yeah. Cerny. I think right. what we what we should try and do is in a future show here is just have the entire show about how to handle the economic stuff that's going on right now because if you own horses, if you own a barn, if if you own a boarding stable, if you own a tax shop, you're you're going to be having you're you're having difficulties now that you didn't have before. Right. And so, let's let's do this too. Um I'd like to ask all you guys out there, your our listeners, send us any questions that you would like us to ask of Lori or the, the guest for that day about that topic. So if there's something you want to know or you need help in a specific area, call us or email us, and we'll include that information in the show in our, our interview and our discussions. And they can email us at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com or call our voicemail line at 270-803-0025. All right, speaking of economic times, we have a sponsor by the name of The Barnworks. The Barnworks is a boutique marketing firm catering to horse businesses such as stables, trainers, farms, and more. Let them help you build a website that turns visitors into new business and saves you tons of time in the process. And I will say this about the websites, is that The Barnworks does beautiful websites. You'll be very impressed with their work and how artistic they are. I think that that is the thing that impresses me me the most about the Barnworks websites is the artistic. And when you're in the horse business, you want, it's all about art. You know, being in the horse business is all about art. And I think that, uh, that that's what that's what you should be looking for in a website as well. With more than 15 years experience in the corporate world and lots of hands-on horse experience, the Barnworks, they are horse people. They offer a unique combination of horse sense and business sense. You can visit them at thebarnworks.com. That's thebarnworks.com, just like it said. Or call 978-6... Let me start that over. 978-468-5167. That's 978-468-5167. Well, you know what else was in the news this week is cloning. Uh, you know, it, uh, various people, again, have various uh, feelings about cloning. Uh, you know, I don't think that I'm totally in agreement with cloning, but there was an announcement this week out of Europe about the company Cryozootech. Cryozootech? Mm-hmm. Cryozootech announced that they had two births this week to actually uh, show jumping clones. And the reason I mention this is they're two very famous horses. The one was uh, Calvaro 5, uh, who, was a, who was written by a Swiss rider and was ranked uh, as a top hunter-jumper rider in 2003. It took five years to clone this horse successfully. Apparently, there were a lot of failed attempts, uh, even for full-term pregnancies. But a healthy colt was born in early August of this year. Calvero actually had won silver medals in the uh, 96 Atlanta and the 2000 Sydney Games in show jumping and was ranked number one in the world in, in 1999. So it's a very popular horse at the time and now has been cloned. And we actually will have a picture in the show notes of the baby. It's actually a cute little baby. 
So, yeah. a, cl- a clone of uh, also champion show jumper Gem Twist is was also done by Cryozootech, a French company. Uh, and what they do is they actually they put they have these cloning banks, these storage banks of equine genetic material, and basically they had. This, they had material from Gem Twist, who was a gray thoroughbred. It was named Horse of the Year three times and won silver medals and world's best horse in the 1990 World Equestrian Games. So it was, also, again, a very popular horse. Uh, and the riders of that horse were Greg Best, Leslie Howard, and Laura Chappelle. Uh, and he was retired at New York's Madison Square Garden in November of 1997. So they had a successful uh, baby born from, from that horse as well. I'm I'm like ready to bust out of the gate with this. <laughs> okay, first of all, I think that's another future show to talk I about. Get this out. I yes, I can't listen to you go on and on without even just getting a little preview of how I feel about this. Okay, um, uh, my theory is don't mess with Mother Nature. Um, she's been very successful so far. I think the more we play around with things, um, the more we're going to do ourselves in. Um, so there's that aspect to it, which. Yes, is probably a whole month of shows worth of discussion. And we've all seen the bad science fiction movies of what happens when you clone things. It's it's I understand. <laughs> I don't even want to say I understand it. But the other side of it, it is: what are you going to do with horses? With these horses, how are you going to introduce them into the mainstream competitive horse world? Without it, it it basically comes down to well, how much money do you have? Because if you have a lot, then you can clone your star horse. Yeah, but that's right. And that's what they've done here. And what they're doing, what, what they, what they claim they aim to produce is clones of famous castrated champions. So you're you're taking away the equality in the playing field. You're introducing, you're, you're reintroducing, um, an animal who's a, a known, um, I mean, obviously environment plays a role, but you're but saying, aren't you? I mean, that's the that's true of the industry as a whole. Anyway, if you've got lots of money, you can get the better horses and just you can breed them. So, is there so really much, a difference? Playing, but, but genetics is the that's the great. Um, I can't think of the word. It, it it that's what levels the playing field. Is you never know sure whether or not your baby is going to turn out to be a fantastic jumper. Well, and they still don't know whether these babies are going to turn out to be fantastic jumpers either. Right, that's the whole question of nature versus nurture. Is it the right. genetics or is it the environment? But the point here is, is you're screwing around around with the genetics, so you now have an, an advantage. You've got a biological, physiological advantage. Well, maybe over everybody else who's just taking, taking their getting lucky. But, I, but and what I, what I'm saying is, we don't know that for sure yet. We don't know whether these babies are going to do better than any other babies. That's true. I mean, you when you get if you want to take a look at the other side of it, when you have a bunch of babies born out of a stallion that's a wonderful stallion, not all those babies are good. Right. So it could could be the same thing here. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think so. But we can talk more about this. But I have to say, I don't think so because when you you don't know what that when you have a naturally born baby, you don't know how their um genetic picture was painted it, but it they have be, the genes of the father yes but it could be painted in a different scene i'm looking for a good analogy but i'm not getting there the, so the baby's genetic picture is painted could be painted 
slightly different than his father or very different, in which case you could have a hugely different performing uh, horse at, at, by the time he starts jumping. But if you have an exact clone of the father, you know exactly what that baby's genetic picture is going to look like. So that's my point is you, there's absolutely zero guesswork on the biological and physiological sign of the animal. And I bet you that they're going to find, my guess is that they're going to find that these babies don't perform, they perform to the same scale as, as, as naturally born babies. In other words, there's going to be the same percentage that do well and the same percentage that stink. Then why do it at all? If that's what they find, then why do it at all? Well, and that, that's probably the best point I think you've made all day. Is why do it at all? I mean, if that's the case, and I don't think the I think the jury's still out on on all all of this so far, but that's why I think this would also be a fascinating show to get a couple of experts on, get somebody who's opposed to it, and then get somebody who's actually, if we can get a doctor on who 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 is actually doing it, that would be very interesting show. There's your homework. Call okay. Cryozootech. First, learn yeah. how to pronounce First, we have to find somebody who speaks English over there, and then we can get them on. <laughs> All right. We'll try We'll try and do that. I don't know. You may be right. You may be right on this one. I, I just, I don't know. And, of course, they make it sound all wonderful by saying that the the financial support here results in, uh, from the sale of these clone horses goes back to the stallions and the owners of the stallions, mares, and geldings. Well, okay. You know, that's we all know that they're making money. They wouldn't be doing it. So, all right, good. Okay. What I, else I, we I, well, we have an interview coming up right now. Uh, I actually recorded this earlier because it was kind of hard to set up. It's always harder when you're talking to somebody in another country that it, the time zones are way different to get a time set up. But I did talk to, uh, her name is pronounced Viola. It's actually spelled W-I-O-L-A, but it's uh, pronounced Viola. She's actually a Polish girl who moved to England and then after she moved became an instructor over there. In England you actually do your instructor's license. There's a series of tests you have to go through before you can be an instructor. So she is an instructor over there. She writes a couple of websites, one of them called the Freelance Instructor's Diary and seems to have taken off in England. So let's talk to her and uh, we'll see you when, when we're done with the interview. Hi Viola from England. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So what part of England are you from? I'm from London. Okay. Cool. And you're an instructor and a blogger there in England. Looks like it. That's right. (laughs) And you have a blog. This is where we found you because you're our blog of the week. You have a blog called the Freelance Instructor's Diary at freelanceinstructorsdiary.blogspot.com. And that's really long, so we'll put that in our show notes so people can find you. Um, now, That's correct, and yes, it is long. Now, I did read your blog, and I know that you're not originally from England. Where were you from originally? I'm originally from Poland. Okay. And what age did you move to England? Well, it was, I was, how old was I? It was in 2003, so about five years ago, so I was about 24, 25. Okay, so you were, uh, you, you weren't a kid. I was thinking that maybe you moved there when you were a child, but... Uh, no. No, you were an adult when you moved to England, and oh, yeah. and you've stayed. You must have liked it. I stayed because my oh, well, I met my partner, and he's English, and he doesn't want to move, and um, so we settled here. Okay, good. And you you are an instructor in England, right? Uh, riding instructor. That's correct. Yep. Okay, good. So why did you start the blog in the first place? I started the blog 
as a as a little um, contact for my family and my friends. I just wanted to avoid constant emailing and and sending the same information all the time to everybody around. So I started as a little diary. It is not the blog that you read. I, it is a different blog where I stopped writing it. Okay. But um, it was just an initial startup. And it seems to work very well, and everybody enjoyed reading it. So um, at some point, I just started receiving loads of emails um, with people saying, oh, how how did you start your adventure with um, instructing examinations, and how did, you, um, how did you find about this center or that center? So that's the, where the idea of the Freelance Instructors Diary came up from. Well, that's neat. And in a short period of time, only having moved there in 2003. And it's amazing how things like this do take on a life of their own. It is, although, well, I, I worked with horses in Poland as well, and I always wanted to work with horses. And I initially came to England just to learn a little bit more about the the, the ways, um, how things are done in the UK. And, um, but... And I was going to go back and set up my own equestrian business in, in Poland, but I met um, Rick, my, my partner, and um, he, he sort of decided that we're staying here. <laughs> so now you're, you're a licensed instructor. The English, uh, in England, you actually have to do a series of examinations and things to be an instructor, correct? That's right. Yes, it, it's, it's pretty costly, but it's, it really is worth it. it it's, it's a very good system, and... Um, uh, well, it, it is worth having it. It's something that that's something that we're definitely missing here in the United States because pretty much anybody can say I'm an instructor and go out and teach. That's okay. You can all come here and I'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I do staff, staff training to and uh, preparation to BHS exams. So I'm happy to teach you. <laughs> well, that's neat. How long does it take? How many exams are there? There is. Um, Eight exams plus the ninth exam is the is the exam for the fellow of the British Society, which is the highest exam um, you can take with the British Horse Society. And there, there, there is a variety of exams, and they consist of uh, stricter teaching examinations when you're actually teaching and uh, teaching the um, people you've never seen before, and you're you're assessed on your coaching. Uh, abilities and there are horse horse care and horse knowledge exams and riding exams so they they really are more comprehensive than than anything we might have over here uh, they yeah they do cover a, a wide wide um a variety of subjects and topics and you have to you do them probably you need at least three to four years to do the, all of them if wow. you're very committed. Well, and I, I, I assume that in order to be a considered a reputable instructor, instructor there, you should have those exams. Definitely, you either take those exams uh, up to the top level, uh, or you compete a lot and build a, a decent competition record, and then um, you, you get clients via your own. Um, competition record but if obviously not everybody has a financial possibility to do that so it's the next best thing to do those exams and and um have your reputation built up this way right 
So what kind of riding did you do? I, I think I read in your blog, weren't you a hunter-jumper hunter or a jumper rider there, and you switched to that, eventing maybe? That's right. That's right. I, well, switch to eventing is probably a little bit too much but because I've only done one affiliated event. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. but um, it's just a very, very expensive sport to participate in. And, um, well, I would be very happy to switch professionally but it's just too expensive at the moment and um but i do i do more eventing preparation than i do jumping yes and uh did have you ever gotten at we i know burley was just a couple weeks ago have you ever gotten out to burley to watch (laughs) no i didn't have a chance to go i was planning to go but unfortunately i couldn't but um, I've been to badminton, and it's a fantastic event to watch. Definitely recommend. And I guess Burley this year was a little wet. It was, yes. <laughs> if you see the pictures of the mud, it's, it's pretty disgusting. But everybody who went said that, that they had a fantastic time, and, and they almost didn't notice, and it was more of a fun thing to, to go through that mud than anything else. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what, we certainly, let, let me repeat here, you, uh, you are at the freelanceinstructorsdiary.blogspot.com, and then you also have a website for your instructor business, for your professional business. What's, what's that? Uh, yes, that's, that's right. I've got my own website, um, which is called equestriancoach.co.uk, okay. and um, this is the website that I use as a, as a little business card. In the internet, on the internet for, for potential clients or just to introduce myself really and, and um, tell people about my methods of training and, and um, what I do. And Okay, great. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being on and I'll tell you what, if there's ever news over there in England that we need to talk to somebody about, can I get back to you? Absolutely. You can be our reporter in England. <laughs> With pleasure. All right, Helena. Well, that was fun. It's always fun to hear accents from different uh, countries, and we'll, we're going to try and do that in the future to get more people on the show from different countries. It's so easy to do now with the technology, and it's free calling. So I'm looking forward to doing that more and more as we go on. And I really like her website. I did both of them, the, the both the blog and uh, equestriancoach.co.uk. Those are gr- very, very well done sites. Yes, and I think she actually has put some time and effort into the training aspect on the website. Mm. Uh, and she, she lives in London, which is interesting, too. She has her horses outside of London, but she actually does live in London, as she said. So... Uh, she, she, so I did to speak to her. She's going to come on uh, occasionally on the show as our, our London, England reporter when there's uh, big news happening over there in England. So Ooh, I can't wait to do that press release. Steve yeah. goes global. <laughs> goes global, right. All right. Well, we want you to be sure to listen next week because we have a special show planned for you. Uh, next week's show sort of has a theme to it, and we're going to be talking the entire show about natural horsemanship, and we have some very big names in the natural horsemanship community on. So we hope that you join us next week. It'll probably be um, be a full hour with all the guests that we have lined up. So do check back for next week's show. We're excited about that. You can find our show notes at stablescoop.com. That's uh, where you can find all the links from today's show. You'll see it there right in episode 8. 
our blogs. Uh, Helene and I also do blogs. I just did an update uh, with pictures of the horse park and the construction going on over there. They're making great progress. First pictures of the inside of the new indoor arena at the horse park. So check out the blog entry over there at stablescoop.com. Also, you can email us. We want to hear from you. Please do email us at geeks at horseradionetwork.com. That's G-E-E-K-S at horseradionetwork.com. Or you can call us at 270-803-0025. And Helena, we also want to thank our sponsor, The Barn Works, for being with us today and and putting up with our shenanigans. <laughs> and uh, anything else, Helena? No, I think that's about it. I just encourage everybody to call and email us. We really want to hear from you. We want to incorporate your ideas, your suggestions, and your opinions into the show. I mean, we can't be just listening to my opinions all day long. So let's hear what you have to say. Uh, uh, Yeah, we don't want to hear just Helena rant and rave. We want to hear you rant and rave, too. All right, Helena, we'll talk to you next week. We'll be back with the scoop. 